Hey, good morning, Harvest. Pastor Cal here. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter two. If you've been with us in this online series, you know that we are in a series titled Joy for Today, where we're looking at the book of Philippians, which has been so good for us because it's talking about how in the midst of a difficult season for our church and for our country and really for our world as we navigate this worldwide pandemic, how can we as Christians live a life that is marked by joy? And here's what I'll tell you about this week. Um, I, I would say that as a pastor, one of of the things I've learned is that there are certain times when you plan out a preaching series months in advance, and then you realize, man, God has orchestrated things that the exact thing we're looking at uh, this week is the perfect thing that we as a church need to hear today. Like it is so relevant to where we are right now that when I first read it uh, earlier this week, I, honestly, I was a little bit like, oh man, God, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you really want me to talk about this this week? Like, this one's going to hurt a little bit. And um, so here we are where we're going to enter God's word. And, and, and again, God has such an empower, or a powerful and important thing for us to hear this week. And um, again, in all seriousness, this might not be a super comfortable message, but I am convinced that this is the exact thing that the Lord wants us to see in his word. And I'm hopeful and expecting that this morning, God's gonna do an amazing work in our hearts. I'm excited for what he's going to do. So let's get right into the text. Again, Philippians chapter two, starting at verse 12. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so here's what Paul's doing. Verse 12 is kind of a transition verse. In the first part of Philippians 2, there's this famous passage where Paul is focused on Jesus Christ and how he came to earth and how he humbled himself and how he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself taking the form of a servant. And if you watched last week, Pastor Ryan did such an incredible job talking about how if we as a church are going to be unified, especially in this season, we need to have the same mind as Jesus Christ who, who humbled himself. And we need to remove the pride that lives in our hearts and we need to seek to have a mindset of humility. So that was the first part of Philippians 2. He's focused on how amazing Jesus is. And now he's transitioning to focused on his audience. And in verse 12, he says, listen, um, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's a warning. And what Paul's saying is, listen, all that Jesus has done for us, all that he's accomplished for us, we can't let that go to waste. We can't take it for granted. We can't live our lives mindlessly. But part of being a follower of Christ is that we need to work out, am I truly following Jesus? Is he really Lord of my life? Have I really given my all to him? Or are there areas in my life that I'm going through the motions, that I'm worshiping false gods? Are there areas in my life I'm unwilling to yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? He's like, we have to wrestle with this and we have to ask our hearts the difficult questions. These are serious questions that you and I need to be diligent to work through. But then he's gonna continue on in verse 14. Here's what he says. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do you hear that? Let's read it again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
All right, there it is. There's the sentence that's going to hit so hard for us today. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I want you to look right at me. I would say in my entire life, I have never witnessed a week where there has been more complaining, more grumbling, more disputing than this week in Michigan after our governor's order regarding masks. Right, like, like there has been all sorts of complaining and grumbling and disputing, and it's in personal conversations, and it's in what businesses are saying to customers and what employees are saying to customers, and it's what's happening online. Like you can't even engage hardly in, in Facebook right now. Like our culture is angry, and it is complaining, and it is both Christians and non-Christians. Like, can we admit that this is something we're not exactly crushing right now? And yet here in God's word, we're told to do all things without grumbling or disputing. So I was like, okay, I need to figure out what this is exactly saying. So I I went into the Greek and I was looking for a loophole. Like I was like, when he says all things, does, does it actually mean some things? And unfortunately in the Greek, the word all means all. There's no opt out here. There's no get out of jail free clause. We are called to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And um, it's interesting um, in the Greek, that word for complaining, it's or that word for grumbling and disputing, it actually means to express discontent. So it's talking about complaining. And what Paul's saying is, is that when you are frustrated, when you are angry, not to express that anger and frustration to others, that we shouldn't have a spirit of grumbling and complaining. So here's the big idea. It's this, it's how we respond when we are frustrated matters. Today, we're gonna talk about what do we do when we are angry and when we are frustrated and how do we get rid of this disruptive complaining spirit that seems to be plaguing our culture in such a real way, right? What a a timely word for our church right now that when I'm angry, that when I'm frustrated, that when I'm upset, that doesn't mean I get to do or say what I want to say, that we're called to honor the Lord in our frustration, in our response. So here's kind of the uh, the outline this morning. Here's what I wanna do. The first thing I wanna do is I wanna expose the lie that we're believing when we complain. The reason we complain is because we're believing something that's untrue and I wanna expose that as the lie it is. The second thing I wanna do is I wanna talk about why grumbling and complaining is a problem, why God calls us not to do it. And then the third thing I wanna do is I wanna talk about a better way to handle our frustration. I wanna talk about the solution that God gives us. So so let's start with the lie. Here's the lie that we are believing when we choose to give in to our frustration in complaining and in grumbling. Here's the lie. We believe that the reason we're frustrated and the reason we're complaining, it's not a problem that's inside of us, but it's a problem that's outside of us. We believe that there's an external factor that is causing our frustration and it's their fault that we are complaining and we're grumbling. It's this idea that I'm not the problem. There's this other problem outside of me and my complaining is a response to someone else's issue. Okay, so I wanna make this very, very practical. I think here's three excuses we make for grumbling. Here's the first, it's that my authority is the problem. 
And authority can be a lot of things right now. It can be our president. It can be our governor. It can be our boss. It can be our parent. It can be our teacher. It can be the school board. It can be the church. It can be the neighborhoods association. But what happens is, is that authority does something or says something or makes a decision that we don't like and we don't agree with. And we're like, man, that's the wrong decision. They shouldn't do that. It's not fair. It's not right. And the reason I'm complaining, it's not my fault. It's not my problem. It's the reality that my authority is falling short, that they're the ones that are screwed up, not me. And then here's what we believe. Man, if I just had a better authority, if my boss was better, if my pastor was better, if my governor was doing a better job, I wouldn't complain. I would be completely content and and happy and I would be righteous if the authority that was over me was righteous as well. Okay, here's the problem with that line of thought. The Bible exposes it to be a lie and it does it in very, very dramatic fashion. Do you remember the story of the Israelites and Moses after they exit Egypt and they go into the wilderness? Do you remember that story? Remember the, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt and God raises up Moses and he says, I'm gonna miraculously set my people free and bring them to the promised land. And Moses is like, I'm not sure if I'm the leader. And God's like, no, 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 you are. And then God sets 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt. He does miraculous works where he blots out the sun and sends frogs and brings the angel of death to kill all the the firstborn children. And finally, Pharaoh relents and lets the Israelites go. So God does something pretty miraculous to free Israel. And then as they're entering the wilderness, Pharaoh's army chases after them one last time. God opens up the sea. They walk through on dry land and then he closes the sea on the Egyptian army. Like there is no doubt that God is with the people of Israel. And it says that while they're in the wilderness, they're being led by Moses but that God's presence was physically with them in a cloud during the day and a fire at night. So you wanna talk about an incredible authority to have. Like the Israelites knew for certain that their authority, the one that was leading them, the one that was providing for them, it was God himself. And what did the Israelites do? Did they have incredible attitudes? Were they so thankful? Absolutely not. They complained. They complained about not having a place to live. They complained about not having food. And then when God miraculously provided food from heaven, they complained that it wasn't the right type of food. And there's this one incredible passage where they're complaining that the food they have, that it's not meat, that they want better food. And in Numbers 11, God responds to them this way. He says this, he says, and say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat and you shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. Okay, here's what this is exposing about our hearts. Even when God was leading them and miraculously providing for them, their hearts were still prone to grumbling and complaining and rejecting God himself. And you see God take offense to that. Their authority was perfect. And yet that wasn't enough to curb the complaining spirit in their heart. And when we complain, it's not because our authority is the problem. It's because there's a problem inside our hearts. Here's the second lie we believe. It's that others are the problem. 
right? It's this mentality that, man, life would be so much easier if I didn't just have to deal with all of the idiots in my life. And I think this is an attitude that's really prevalent right now in our society. And it's like, man, if all of the anti-maskers went away or if all of the maskers went away, or if there wasn't so much nonsense that I had to deal with in my family or in my workplace or, or all these people that are driving me crazy, the reason I'm complaining, it's because other people, they're the problem and I'm at my wit's end. Of course, it's not my heart that's the problem. It's the other people that I've got to navigate. It's the same lie. The problem's out, out there. It doesn't re- or reside in my heart. And again, this is something that scripture directly deals with, right? Think about the story of Adam and Eve, right? There were only two people in the world. It was Adam and Eve. And they had intimate relationship with God. All of their needs were met. They had no other people that could drive them crazy or bother them. They were in the garden of Eden. They were living perfection, but they believed the lie of the enemy that they needed more, that they should have more. And their attitude of gratitude was replaced with an attitude of envy and selfishness and desire. And it caused them to rebel against God himself. It wasn't other people that led to their complaining spirit. It was believing the lies of the enemy. It was a selfish heart that caused them to sin. You see, the problem's not out there. It's in here. Here's the third um, excuse that I think we can easily make. It's just, man, our world's just so messed up. And I've had a lot of conversations with people who have come to me over the past weeks and months, and they're just fighting discouragement. And it's like, Cal, like this reality of the virus, like it's impacting my job, it's impacting my family. It's so discouraging to see so many people angry online and how divided our country is. And they're worried about the election that's coming up and how that's gonna divide things even more. And there's like this real sense, man, 2020 has been brutal. And our world just seems so divided and angry. And it's like, it's hard not to just give into frustration and to complain. It's hard to to keep our chin up when it feels like from every different angle, wherever I'm looking at, I'm being beaten down right now. Like that, that's a valid thing to feel. And look at how Paul addresses this in verse 15. He says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And here's what I love about what Paul says in verse 15. He, He doesn't sugarcoat the reality that the culture is rough. He goes, listen, you're in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Our world is broken. Our world is messed up. But when you choose not to live with a grumbling and complaining spirit, your testimony for Christ actually shines. And it's a testimony that's going to win people to the gospel. He's not trying to make Greece a Christian nation. He's not trying to change the current of the culture. He's like, listen, we live in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation. And I think all of us feel that in our hearts right now. And he says, but that shouldn't be the thing that determines your attitude. That's not an excuse to fall into frustration and complaining, but that we are to shine as lights and to show that we have a relationship with the creator and there's hope in the midst of the brokenness in our world. And you know, one of the things that's been so encouraging over this season is to see so many people in our church who are modeling this so well. You know, I've, I've talked to people who, because of the coronavirus, they've lost their job. 
And their attitude is, is, you know what? God's providing and he's good and he's faithful and I'm trusting in him to meet my needs. Like that's so anti what our culture is responding with right now. Hey, listen, I, I, I'm high risk. And if I get this virus, I, I could be in, in real life threatening trouble. So I'm doing my best, but I'm trusting God. He's the ultimate healer. He's the one who gives and takes away life. He restores and, and I'm entrusting myself to him. That when we have an attitude that is grateful and loving in the midst of this trial, like Christians are really shining as lights in our culture. This is true today. So I would say that the first thing we need to do today is we need to accept the reality that our grumbling and complaining, it's not an outside problem. It's a heart issue. And we need to look in the mirror a little bit and say, no, 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 the reason I've been complaining, it's not my spouse's fault. It's not my company's fault. It's not the government's fault. It's an issue with my heart. And James says this too in his epistle. He says this, he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He says that the cause of divisiveness, the cause of frustration, the cause of conflict in the church, it's not outside forces, but our passions are at war within us. We need to acknowledge that this is a heart issue. And once we can see that, we can start to get our way to the cure. Okay, so the second thing we need to look at this morning is we need to understand why complaining is a problem. And what I wanna do right now is I wanna talk about two loud statements that our grumbling makes and why God takes offense to our complaining. Here's the first statement it makes. When, when I grumble and complain, I am loudly stating that I'm not sure that God is actually good. When I complain about my circumstances, when I complain about what others are doing, when I complain about where God has me, what I'm saying is, is God, I don't know if you're actually good. And um, this is a journey that I've had to walk through personally. Um, if you knew me when I was in high school and when I was in college, I was not great at um, respecting authority. Like I was the kid on the soccer team that I would get in trouble in a lot of games that I played for yelling at the ref. And if I thought the ref wasn't keeping up, if I thought he was making bad calls, if he wasn't doing his job, I was gonna be in his face and let him know because I demanded a lot of my, myself and my authority better be keeping up or I can't respect him. And I'd get thrown out of games, I'd get yellow cards, like it was not good. Um, I was the kid in high school who was disrespectful to his teachers. I was the kid complaining about homework. I, it was something I wasn't amazing at. Even in college, if I thought that something that the professor did was wrong, I'd call him out on it. Like I had this rebellion to authority and I'm not proud of it. I, that's just who I was. And I remember, so I get married and, and God thankfully through marriage sanctifies me and he's, you know, rubbing away some of my sharper edges because I've got this beautiful woman that I, I, I'm married to and I'm living with and I don't want her to leave me or run away. So I've got to be kind and I've got to grow in patience. So God's already working in my heart. And we moved to Orlando and I was working at a, at a church and, and there was this specific morning where um, the senior pastor came in and he asked me to do something I didn't want to do. And I thought he was being unfair and I thought that he was wrong and my attitude was bad. And I didn't say anything in the meeting, but I was like fuming. 
And I remember I, I got home and I called my dad and I'm like, can you believe that I've been asked to do this? It's not right, it's not fair, it's wrong. I don't wanna do it and I'm gonna go tell my boss I'm not doing it. That was my attitude. And I remember what um, my dad said in many ways really changed my life. He goes, hey, Cal, is your boss asking you to sin? I was like, no, but I still don't wanna do it. It's still not fair, it's, it's not right. I'm, it's not sin, but, but I shouldn't have to do it. And he goes, hey, Cal, do you believe that God's good? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. God's not the problem, my boss is. And he's like, well, how about you believe that God has established you under this authority because he's good and he loves you and he's wanting you to grow in an area that might be a weakness of yours. Like you can honor your boss. He basically said, Cal, shut up and do your job. Do what they ask you to. Not because they're necessarily right or they deserve it, but because they're not asking you to sin. And this is a sign that you believe that God's good and you're trusting in his plans for your life. And I remember in the moment I wasn't happy, but I couldn't argue against it. And that really began a journey of me learning how to submit to authority. And I'm praying by God's grace, if you were to talk to our elders now, they would say, yeah, Cal's not perfect, but overall he does a good job listening and submitting to authority and, and taking direction. This is a thing that God is growing in me and I see the value in it because ultimately um, how I view my authority and what I say about them, it's not a reflection of them. It's a reflection of what I believe about God. And, and that I believe that that's true when it comes to our president, and when it comes to our governor, that when we butt up against it and we're angry and when we're complaining, we're not indicting that person, we're indicting the God that has placed them in that position of power and authority. Right, Romans 8, 28, we all know this verse. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It says this, it says, as we know that for those who love God, God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. So if we believe that God is working all things together for good, if we believe that he loves us and that he's um, working things together for our good, that means even the circumstance we find ourselves in right now, God is ultimately doing it for his glory and our good. And if we believe that, what do we have to complain about? Right, it disarms our desire to complain when it's like, man, you know what? No, 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 God is good. He is faithful, he is perfect, his ways are higher than my ways. And rather than believing that I know everything and I'm gonna cast judgment, my job's to trust the Lord and believe his promises. I think when we complain, it's a direct assault on God's character because we're saying, God, I don't know if you're really good. And the second loud thing that our complaining communicates or our grumbling communicates, it's this, that I'm not sure that God is actually in control. In 2 Timothy 1, it says this, it says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. And I think right now, especially in the midst of the coronavirus, so much of our complaining is really driven out of fear of the unknown, right? There's so much that we still don't know, and that creates fear in us because we feel like we're out of control, and that leads to a spirit of complaining. We don't know, there's a lot of unknowns about the virus. 
There's a lot of unknowns about the economy and what that's going to look like moving forward. There's a lot of unknowns about school in the fall and what is when September rolls around, what's life going to be like? There's a lot of unknowns about how long is this going to last for? How long are we going to be under these government restrictions? When are we going to be able to meet all together as a church again? Like there's so many unknowns. And if you're like me in any way, when you feel like you don't have control, it's easy to spiral into fear and into grumbling and complaining. But church, look here. There is not a second in eternity past, in this present moment or in eternity future that has slipped past God's watchful eye. You know that God is in absolute control of everything, right? He formed the heaven He's numbered the stars and called them by name. He has created every cell in our body and there is not an atom that multiplies or expands or does anything without his control. There's nothing that exists outside of the control of God. And listen, there are unknowns for us and life is scary and it's easy for us to spiral into worst case scenarios, right? Like, like I've heard this so much, like, man, if this candidate wins the election, our country is going to be destroyed. Worst case scenario. If we wear masks in the government, they're going to do this. Worst case scenario. If we don't wear masks, the virus is going to spread out of control. And then this. Worst case scenario. If our schools don't open in the fall, our kids are going to be left behind and worst case scenario. If this doesn't end soon, we're never going to recover economically. Worst case scenario. Like it's amazing how fast we run to worst case scenarios. And I'm guilty of this all of the time. And we need to understand that this is driven by fear and that you and I, we have no reason to fear. We are children of the King God is in control. His plans will not be thwarted. They will not fail. We can have real rest in the reality that God is in control. That God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And that self-control is the self-control to have the discipline that when I'm afraid, I don't get loud and I don't complain but I entrust myself to the one who is in control, God himself, who is our heavenly father. All right, so here's the big question. If we're called not to grumble and not to have a spirit of complaining, what do we do with our fears and frustrations? Because they're real and they're valid. And if we stuff them down, they're just gonna build up until, until they explode. Like i am got these fears and I have these real frustrations. What are we called to do with them? Well, here's the solution to our frustration problem. It's this, church. God has given us himself as the solution. Look at Philippians 2.14 again. It says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Okay, and I love that last statement, holding fast to the word of life. So he's saying, how do you not complain? How do you have a testimony in these frightening times? You hold fast to God's word, that God has given us himself, his own revelation about himself for us to know. It shows us his character. It shows us his promises. It shows us the reality that he is one, that he is in control, that he has sent Jesus Christ to pay for our sins and that our eternity is in heaven with him. 
And Paul's not just saying, hey, read this occasionally. Hey, hey, understand what the Bible says. It says, no, 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 he's given you his word as a gift. Hold fast to it like you're holding on to life itself. Like church, when we read the Bible, we're not reading a theology textbook. We're not just reading ancient literature. We're reading the very word of God that has been supernaturally protected. And we need to read that in a way where we're prayerful and we're saying, God, change me, speak to me, give me something that's going to impact my life today. And we need to hold on to it as our ultimate source of truth because when everything is spinning out of control, the nature and character of God stays the same. That the way we don't have a a, a heart of complaining and fear is we say, no, no, I know that this is true because God has revealed himself to me in this way. Here's another way that God has given us himself. He's given us the gift of prayer, right? Jesus says, come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? Tired, frustrated, at the end of our rope, we're called to come to Jesus and receive rest. Right? The, the Bible says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Right? What God's saying is, listen, are you frustrated? I can take that for you. Give them to me. I can shoulder your frustration. Talk with your frustrations to me and I will give you a peace which surpasses all understanding that I can do something that actually helps. I can work supernaturally in your heart to give supernatural peace when you're willing to offload your frustrations onto me. He's giving us himself. He's also given us worship. In 1 Timothy 2.8, it says this, it says, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. You see that? He says, rather than quarreling, Rather than being angry when life is difficult, we need to pray and we need to lift up our hands in worship. And like, I don't know about you, but man, worship music has been such a lifeline for me in this season. I don't know if you guys saw this, but on our Facebook page, we posted a new song that our worship leaders wrote together to bless our church. And it's talking about, um, Holy Spirit, be my rest. Take away my hurriedness. Teach me how to walk in step with you. And that's honestly been a song that I've been praying through because it's like, God, I'm overwhelmed, I'm angry, I'm seeing everything that's happening around me and I wanna respond with anger. God, I need you to teach me how to walk in step with you. Show up in my heart, give me this rest that you promised and he has proven to be faithful, but we need to take the posture of worship rather than bitterness, anger, grumbling and complaining. Listen, when we are frustrated, we have a choice. We can see frustration as the opportunity to lean into more intimacy with God. I'm gonna run to him. I'm gonna offload that on him and he's gonna work in my heart and my relationship with God is going to be closer as a result. Or I can choose to reject that intimacy for grumbling and complaining. One is healthy, one is destructive. We have a choice to make. Again, one more time. I wanna read verse 14. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And I wanna focus on that last phrase that, that listen, our testimony is on the line here in regards to our attitude, right? The big idea is how we respond when we are frustrated matters. The reason it matters is because it says what we believe about God and our testimony is at stake. 
And church, if I could be honest with you, I think the most heartbreaking thing for me in this pandemic is watching so many followers of Jesus Christ absolutely obliterate their testimony because they've yielded to complaining and anger and fear, and they've responded out of frustration rather than trust in the Lord. Listen, when you get on social media and when you complain, it's not righteous, it's self-righteous. It's not unifying, right? Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, I pray that my followers are one. Complaining and grumbling doesn't create unity, it creates division. And it's not a vertical mindset, it's not a mindset that honors the Lord. So I think we as a church are being compelled by God's word today to, to first of all, seek our, our, our own hearts right now and ask the tough question, is this something that I've yielded to? Have I yielded to a spirit of complaining? And the good news is if we have, um, guess what? Jesus has already paid for that. We're not in the doghouse, we're not in trouble. God hasn't doesn't love us any less because we failed in this area, but Christ has already covered that and we can repent of it. And we can know that God's arms are wide open to restore us and, and, and to walk in relationship with us. But then we need to ask our, our, ourselves the question, all right, what does it look like for me to lean into more intimacy with God? Do I need to be in his word more consistently? Do I need to step up my, my prayer life? Do, do I need to, to turn off the radio and turn off NPR and Fox News and CNN and, and turn on worship music? Like, like how can I pursue God in a way that's worshipful, that's going to result in a heart full of peace rather than of fear and anger, grumbling and complaining? Let's ask God for help right now, church. Dearly Father, God, I thank you for um, your word. Um, I'm thankful that your promises are true. You promise that God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword and it pierces us between the joints and marrow. And I think you've done that today. And God, I just pray for grace as we hear your word. Would we not be defensive or would we not um, allow this message to cause more division and more complaining, but would you humble our hearts would we seek to love you? Would we believe that you're here, that you're present with us, that you're in control? And even in the difficult times we're facing together, that this is not outside of your ability to work out for our good and your glory. We believe that, we trust you, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, church, I hope you guys have a great week. Love you all, hope to see you soon.